Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Best Damn Camp, a Riordanverse read-along and analysis podcast that sits out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show and the last chapters of The Lightning Thief. So today we end The Lightning Thief journey before moving on to the next book in the timeline with the chapters chapter 21 i settle my tab and chapter 22 the prophecy comes true just realize chapter 22 and the word true rhyme whether it's intentional or not i don't know maybe apollo came in but his rhyming isn't that great so probably not (laughs) so as always i've got my points to focus on and there'll be a few things that are slightly different with this episode with this being the conclusion for the lightning thief story so my points to focus on today are the writing decisions the characters the conclusion and of course just generally what i thought of it but to begin here's the synopsis Percy heads to Olympus, where he discovers that his dad does, officially, suck. But his mother will always be a queen, even if she has to do some dark things to remove an abuser from their lives. As we celebrate our heroes, unease sets in. The prophecy is incomplete. But don't worry, evil Aryan boy is here to fix that in the form of Luke, leaving Percy for dead. Can our heroes stop this madman? Find out in the next book. And that is the synopsis for the final chapters of The Lightning Thief. And seriously, guys, these last two chapters were a whirlwind. It's kind of mad to think that I'm finishing the first book in the Percy Jackson series for this podcast like it's what firstly the fact that I started a podcast is still wild to me like I I have my YouTube channel I have all that stuff but a podcast was like the next thing but I just kind of never thought I would get around to doing it but I've fallen in love with podcasting and I've really fallen in love with the Percy Jackson series doing it for YouTube is fantastic and doing this podcast has found new things for me to talk about on my channel and some of them I will actually be bringing up in these two chapters for this episode because I have so so much to say and I'm so excited to get into it um just to do some uh pre-announcement it's not really an announcement just some shout outs I guess to particular people now I do this quite regularly for these guys but I want to shout out all the other fantastic uh Percy Jackson podcasters 
out there just because seriously you guys are amazing uh what you guys do with your podcast uh it's kind of half the reason why I started doing my own podcast because you guys just have so much fun and you just just everyone is just really lovely like I've spoken to pretty much every single person on all of these podcasts um so of course I want to shout out Half-Blood Report podcast uh Floor 600 Radio Camp Half-Blood Consult the Oracle who I need to apologize for because I couldn't remember their podcast name last time I did a shout out uh the Demipod as well um, oh no, I feel like I'm missing someone. Am I missing someone? Uh, let us double check, because we now have a group chat, guys. We're that cool. Uh, <laughs> have I missed anyone? No, I have not. No, that is everyone that at least that I do speak with. So to all the other Percy Jackson podcasts out there, you guys are awesome. I'm so glad that I've got to speak and meet with you. And to my listeners please go support and listen to these other Percy Jackson podcasters if you haven't already. They're all a bundle of laughs. Um, I love them all. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I just wanted to do that. Um, I also uh, want to shout out, uh, it's, this is a really random thing. I just put it on my um, my personal Instagram recently, but I want to shout out my mum and my sister. So you guys know from last week that I was really struggling with my mental health. Um, to do with uh, everything that's going on in this current climate and having to work full time still and all these sort of things it was it was really difficult for me to be able to separate my work life from my home life um and my mum and my sister cleaned out the spare room and made a home office for me to be able to work in so I could have that separation so I could have more energy to do the things that I love like this podcast like my youtube channel like my writing Oh, sorry, I think I hit the microphone. Um, so to my mum, Carla, and my sister, Melissa, thank you guys so much. I really, really do appreciate it. I know I'm a little bugger sometimes, but I really do appreciate you both. And now I'll stop. I probably should have left all this to the end, but I thought I'd do it at the start because, ha, 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 you guys have to listen to this before getting to the good stuff. But don't worry, we're getting to the good stuff now with the summary for Chapter 21 I settle my tab. It is confirmed. Mortals be dumb. But Sassy is back. Take that, Gabe! Percy isn't optimistic, so goes on alone. Honestly, fair. Empire State Building here, we... Wait, is that a Harry Potter reference? And to anyone who doesn't know, the guy at the table at the desk to send them up to floor 600 is reading a book with a, a wizard on the front. Harry Potter, is that you? Anyone with vertigo, by the way, look, look away now. Happy-go-lucky Olympus. Anyone else a little mad that no one is frightened by what could have happened? Percy, king of empathy. We meet the other brothers, and I don't like them. Congratulations, Poseidon. You win worst dad in the universe. Hooray! Zeus is a moody grump, but hey, no murder for Percy. Whoop whoop. You damn right, Sally is a queen. But dude, did you have to be so mean to your son in the same sentence? Oh, and Sally lives. Hell yeah, she. Oh my god, Gabe is more abusive than I thought. Percy is literally the sweetest. Sally's standing up for herself. 
being strong for herself. Yeah, kill him, kill him now. Uh, I may have been very aggressive in that uh, summary, but uh, all of it's true. And also that summary, I think, is the longest one I may have had before. A lot happened in this chapter. It was a little wild. Um, now, this is just a random side note that I made a note of because I thought it was quite funny. I don't know if anyone here has ever seen the Disney Channel original movie, Johnny Tsunami. But for some reason, when we got the description for Poseidon in, like, Bermuda shorts and... I can't remember the name of the shirt that he was wearing. But, like, looking like a surfer and a fisherman. The first person I could think of that he looked like... Like, there was the first image that popped into my head for someone who... For that description. Was the actor who plays Johnny Tsunami in that movie. Like, I don't know why. Because from the artwork that we've got on Poseidon that doesn't really work but that really worked for me it made so much sense um but maybe it's just because I've seen been watching a lot of Disney Plus like I got Disney Plus it's the greatest thing ever by the way Disney make Percy Jackson um but yeah so maybe it's just because I saw that movie recently that that's why I pictured it but for I don't know the actor's name hold on Johnny Tsunami cast um, is this him? Uh, okay, it looks really different now, so I don't think that will help. Uh, uh, oh, and I can't say his name. Uh, I'm gonna butcher this so bad, but the actor, I think, is Gary Hiro- Hiroyuki Tagawa. I think that's the person who plays Johnny Tsunami. It looks about right, although he's much older now. He is 69 now. Um, and that film came out <laughs> in like early 2000s maybe <laughs> I don't know um, but yeah for some reason the Johnny Tsunami image came into my head it was a random bit of information you guys probably don't really care but that I just wanted to share because um, it's also a hint as to what will happen in future with one of my British episodes uh, but let us move on to the thing that I really really want to get into and that is for this chapter the characters. Now the first one that I want to talk about particularly is Poseidon. Now honestly because you guys know that I've read all the books, literally every single one of them, I honestly despise the portrayal of Poseidon, mainly in the future books because he isn't a nice guy to me and he 100% should not be portrayed as such. So his attitude to Percy in this chapter and sort of, not his like dismissal, but the fact that he's distant from him was just perfect for me because it just felt so realistic. Because everything he's saying is true. Percy is a child who shouldn't exist and it causes complications. It hurts to hear, but it is true. He is the ch- a child of a broken pact of the river sticks no doubt i can't remember if we've had this discussed but basically the river sticks you make a promise on the river sticks if you break it there are like dire consequences so by poseidon breaking that vow percy is now that consequence he's going to face all the consequences of that breaking of the river sticks vow same with what happened with talia as we've been dis- told she died and was turned into a tree that is the curse that Zeus brought upon her by breaking the vow on the river Styx. Then Poseidon saying that he does 
like, okay, Poseidon does seem to actually care about Percy by saying that he shouldn't have been born because his life is going to be hard. Like, we, this entire book is the evidence that his life is going to suck because of who his father is and the fact that he was born out of a broken promise, a dangerously broken promise as well. He's basically saying, in a sense, like it would have been kinder if he hadn't have been born because with his birth and with who his father is and all these things, he will never truly be happy in life because he will always be in danger because of who his father is. And again, his distance with Percy also makes sense so much so because that's what a god is like and what a good a good a god should be like like pre-world war ii which is obviously when they made the pact he had multiple children but probably had no idea of any of their names uh when they died when he had them or even who their mothers were or fathers i don't know mothers or fathers i don't know um now that he has percy yes percy is currently his only demigod son but time passes differently for gods. Even one child will be difficult to keep track of. Like, he could go to his underwater palace for a little while, think it's only for a short time, and then he'll come back to the surface and Percy could be, like, 60 years old or something, or even dead. Because time is so different. Like, these are millennia-old, all-powerful beings. It is not plausible for him to build a relationship with this child because they are still mortal he will still lose them building a connection firstly isn't something a god should be doing anyway but secondly is going to be a painful thing in a sense for that god too because it's that whole thing that's that's not that immortal thing that people have like like with vampires they're immortal any person that they love eventually will grow old and die if they don't change them I'm trying to think of an example. There was an example that came into my head, but I lost it. Where, where was this reference from that I was going to reference? Can't think of one right now. So we will ignore that I was going to have a pretty good reference because I don't have one. <laughs> um, uh, the thing. So this is kind of half going towards what I really do not want to have happen. <sighs> Percy should not get involved in Percy's life whatsoever. And honestly, I was kind of peeved that he sent the Medusa head to Percy for Percy to use. Definitely on Gabe. Because he's giving a 12-year-old boy the opportunity to commit murder. Uh, that's kind of messed up and also shows that he shouldn't be nowhere near this child who he is willing to let become a murderer of a human being no <laughs> oh oh and yet you know what he shouldn't even be a nice person i think this is the thing here none of the gods should be nice Except for Hestia, but that's because Hestia is the only good thing in the world. And Artemis as well, but I guess she's got to be a little bit negative in a sense. Um, but yeah, none of the gods should be nice people because they are gods. 
And again, this is my grievance with a lot of uh, the godly portrayals in this book. But I'm going to move on to the next character before I get into a very, very long rant about gods again. So the next character that I really want to focus on that come obviously is a big focus for the whole story as a whole. But this chapter I think was really interesting, and that is Percy. Now this is the chapter that reminded me that Percy is literally a child. Like he is a 12 year old child. And it's a very rude reminder. I I do not appreciate the heart-wrenching nature that this 12 year old has experienced so much trauma in such a short period of time. Like this is a boy who has been to the literal underworld and back. 100% has PTSD and severe anxiety and yet he's still desperate for his father's love and attention even if he won't admit that fact and that he so desperately needs and loves his mother as well those moments of like him meeting his dad and him seeing his mum again they broke my heart because it's it was those two moments that reminded me that he is a child seeing him sort of he was aware of the importance of meeting his father but he didn't want to show it because he knew he wouldn't get anything from his dad but then being with his mum again he still wanted to be strong which is why I am convinced that he does have PTSD because he got misty-eyed but even though he was convinced his mum died he does not cry he he gets misty-eyed but he he doesn't cry and it's 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 you get this slight concern like he is still tw- he's still a child but he is trying to be an adult because of everything that he's gone through if he was a child he would not be able to cope with everything that he has gone through but he is still a kid what gets me though with this chapter is this growth with his self-sacrificing nature here with his mum he is literally willing to sacrifice the last of his innocence and childhood to kill the man who has caused his mum physical and mental harm because he loves his mum so much. Like, he... I think that's the thing, like, it comes across quite dark that he says, do you want me to get rid of him? And it feels really dark, and it is, because obviously he's willing to commit murder to protect his mother. But at the same time, you just have to think that, like, in that mindset all he is thinking is i don't want her to have to do something that would corrupt her like he has technically killed obviously they're monsters so it's not the same thing but he has killed sally hasn't and i think in a way he wants to protect her even though she's his mother But what I then love is that when she speaks back and tells him, you can't do this, that this is not your responsibility in a way. And she basically, she, the look of fear and desperation on her face that he kind of sees, basically demanding him to never speak like that and that she can handle this herself. She has control of her own life. All these sort of things. He immediately steps back, both because I think he realises he couldn't do that he can't take a a human life because again he is a child no matter how much he hates Gabe I don't think he could do it but it's also that he knows that she's right he can't do everything he can't 
sacrificed himself for everything and we see this a little bit obviously when he leaves his mum behind for him and his friends to leave to get the bolt back but this is the next bit where we see that he has grown that he knows that his mum can handle herself and it's kind of like seeing her in another light and I just I just really love that but I think what's interesting with this growth again is that before he would have ploughed ahead anyway due to his fatal flaw of sort of this self-sacrificing nature but this shows that he can improve and I just love that but speaking of the whole Sally thing this is where the writing decisions part comes in and this is also where a very very big and very long rant will be coming from me. <laughs> oh, I'm kind of nervous to do it. Okay. A quick warning here. The following discussion pertains to domestic violence and domestic abuse in relation to this story. If this is possibly triggering, please skip to minute 32 and 45 seconds to miss the majority, if not all, of this conversation. So, the writing decisions are obviously relating 100% to Sally for this chapter. Okay, I've I basically had to write all of my points down because I didn't want to go too off topic. So I'm mainly going to be like, normally I write a few things to kind of go off of and then I kind of talk my way through it. But this I was like, no, I have to do full on bullet points because otherwise, like with Medusa, I'm going to go off on a rant and I'm going to get, I'm going to lose my place and it's all going to be a bit of a mess. But I'm going to try and stick as much as possible to what I want to say. I probably will go off on tangents here and there because you guys know me, that is 100% what I do, but I'm going to try not to, (laughs) at least for the main part. (laughs) Okay, now the whole Sally and Gabe thing here. This is 100% something that I know that the fandom has been conflicted on in many cases. To spoil the next chapter, Sally does turn Gabe into a statue. And so many people have deemed this a murder, which yes, okay, it is murder. But we need to look further into what led up to this moment, which is explored in this chapter and the previous chapters, which completely 100% justifies everything that she does and also brings into question whether or not this was a murder and not manslaughter or self-defence. I'll focus on my points again because I suppose to start going into a tangent. Okay, so all the points that we know about Gabe and Sally's relationship. As I brought up in, I think it was maybe chapters four and five, I think that may have been them. Wait, yeah, four, no. No, five and six, I think it probably would have been. Gabe is not only financially and emotionally abusing Sally, it is now confirmed in this chapter that he is physically abusive to Sally. As we see in this chapter, he raises his hand to her and she flinches, which straight away tells Percy that this has happened before and probably it was followed through on with the fact that Sally flinched. And also that whole line always gave me this idea that Percy must have been hit himself. To go to to that conclusion that that reaction brings about this idea that there must have been a hitting at some point gives this idea that Percy must have experienced it himself. Because that is a that is a not like a huge leap because 
the logic of someone raises your hand and you flinch that means they've been hit but I just feel that connection brings up this idea that Percy must have been physically abused not probably to the extent that I originally thought but he's definitely been tossed about or at least smacked um which is obviously traumatizing to say the least when I came to that realization admittedly it's hinted at that Gabe talks about giving him a beating uh, or hitting him and stuff like that and it's probably true considering that Percy never told his mum all these things that Gabe was doing um, which again obviously I talked in that chapter before so I'll focus again on the Sally thing now in this chapter we also learn that he claimed her life insurance money and forced her to go back to the work the day that she came back because she had a month's salary to catch up on and he was mad that he had to give the insurance back. Now this isn't confirmed, but it's a hint, it's an idea that I have that this reaction of him having to give back this money, the fact that he forced her to go back to work, I feel probably led to an idea of, a, of an abusive action. I feel like I should have given a trigger warning at some point about discussion of abuse. Um, apologies that I didn't do before for anyone who may be triggered by conversations of abuse. Um, if I'm editing, hopefully I'll try and put it in before all of this. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> uh, as we know, he completely controls her finances. There's no choice in the matter, whatever. But I think the thing is, when I read the line that he was able to claim her life insurance, from what I am aware, I don't know how it is in the US, but insurance you have to put someone down as to who will kind of like a will you write it and you say who will receive it it's not automatically like a spouse it could be whoever and i seriously doubt that sally would have willingly put him as her financial beneficiary upon her death so my idea is that it was most likely a coerced decision uh the fact that he's forcing her own child out onto the streets and threatened her with physical harm because she wouldn't initially comply. Uh, he's also very clearly had an affair the moment she went missing, presumed dead, admittedly. But his theramist, therapist, quotation marks, was very close to him as we saw on TV, meaning he cared even less about Sally other than the paychecks he got. And then, of course the life insurance money multiple people are aware of the abusive situation his poker buddies are there near 24 7 and just saw him raise his hand to her and didn't say a word she sally is completely isolated she has no friends she has no family except for percy who again is being forced out of the home with threat of violence against Sally if she doesn't comply. She even notes to Percy that she is trying to build up the courage to tell Gabe, almost like she's afraid of his reactions, to tell him that she wants to leave him. And honestly, this comes across as domestic abuse fear 101. This anxiety of telling your partner that you want to leave them now this is where the fandom related stuff comes in 
People have said that she shouldn't have killed Gade because she could have just left the relationship. This proves that that was not a possibility. All these things. The fact that people were seeing it happen and didn't do anything. The fact that she's got no one to go to. The fact that it will literally be her word against his. And the fact that she is afraid for her life if she does tell him that she's leaving him. Yes, murder isn't the way to go. But it could be considered self-defence in this case. We don't know what led to her using the head later. And it sounds as if if it was a little while after Percy had left. Maybe she'd broached the subject of divorce and Gabe threatened her. So the head was used in the sense of impeding threat or fear of violence. But I think the point here, and this is the thing that I kind of want to focus on the most. Because this is something that's always really peeved me with things that people in the fandom say and that is well firstly we don't know what led to Sally using the head but to say she could or should have just left the abusive situation is some of the most ignorant and uninformed opinions I've ever heard from a fandom it's that is I don't know what it is as okay big trigger warning here as someone who has faced dangerous situations including assault i have been told in one case 15 minutes after the incident that i should have just gotten away from the situation i should have pushed back so that blame was instantly put on myself because i did not react in a way that people expected me to do because that's what they quotation marks would have done and what I quotation marks should have done and this is the same thing that is happening with Sally here people in the fandom and things like that are using this idea that she could have just gotten away without realizing that there is a danger aspect to that because she has no finances Gabe owns all of her money she she has to ask permission to buy clothing do you guys remember that from the chapters that i don't remember which ones they were she has to ask to buy clothing with her own money and paycheck where will she go if she leaves there is nowhere to go yes murder isn't the answer that's not what i'm saying murder is never the answer um (laughs) public service announcement there murder is never the answer but again firstly this is fiction I know I'm taking this quite seriously in terms of a fictional thing but I think this is just I think it's just incredibly frustrating for me me to hear and for probably people who are aware of these situations to hear of people just using the the phrasing of she could have just gotten out of it because that's just and I think this is the thing that Rick is kind of getting at here whether it's intentional or not is that not every situation like this is easy to leave because it's in so many cases it's not safe to do so and Gabe is one of these cases because he owns everything he's got all of her money even the money that was hers before their marriage he owns the property that they're in even though I'm pretty sure it was their property before he moved in he he basically owns Sally because of all these things that he has over her. He is physically violent. 
both towards her and her son. He has removed the final family member that she has, her son, from their house with threat of violence. To say that she can just leave is is just... I know I keep repeating that, but I think... It's just, it's frustrating to hear people say that because it does, it does kind of just come off as kind of ignorant towards abusive situations, which is what Sally is in. I know, again, this is a kid's book and it's not put in a way that is that great considering the conversation that we do have in the next chapter of Sally kind of hinting at what she's done and it doesn't come across as like a joke but it's light-hearted which admittedly probably a good thing because you know murder a human being in a book but I don't know I think the thing is it's just you kind of can't you can't judge a situation that we don't have all the information on but also again just think of the whole thing she was in an abusive situation don't put the blame on Sally for how she reacted to it and that is the end thank you for coming to my tyson talk and you guys will know where that title comes from in the next book (laughs) okay i know i went on quite a while about that i'm pretty sure i did lose my point after a while but i just thought it was important to bring up because it is something that has always frustrated me in this fandom there are loads of things that frust fandom i think that's the thing fandom as a whole is frustrating on occasions because of the way in which people Firstly, I'm very defense, defensive about certain things. Like, um, I don't think I've talked about this in my podcast, actually. I received a, a, whether it was a joke or not, I received a death threat uh, on, a, for anyone who doesn't know this, uh, it's a character from Heroes of Olympus, on a Leo Valdez video that I made. They deleted it, like, almost instantly. But it's fandom, it's fans like that that make me uh, question whether or not I should be in fandom-related things. But, uh, at this point, I'm kind of like, eh, you can send me death threats. I don't really care. It just brings more people to my videos and more people to my podcasts. Ha ha ha. I win overall. Um, I don't know where that was going. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on to the summary for chapter 22. The prophecy comes true. Congratulations all round for our trio of heroes. Finally, Percy gets a break and some fun in his life. Capture the flag, training friends, and then a 4th of July party where we say goodbye to Grover. Good luck, my friend. Good luck. Honestly, Percy is the king of procrastination, and I feel that on a very existential level. Well, Luke's pretty intense, I wonder. Oh, Hades, he's the bad guy. No respect. No respect at all, Lucas Stellan. And yes, I finally said that last name right, so um, I can hate him for it. <laughs> Percy is left for dead and wakes up to Annabeth calling him an idiot. And you know what? That's pretty damn accurate. <laughs> there is a plan for Percy, but knowing the future is dangerous. Unless it's lottery numbers. Just saying. Annabeth and Percy's friendship that's it that's the point both Annabeth and Percy head home for the school year because say it with me now folks education is important 
I don't know why I did that in an accent. And that is the summary for chapter 22. And, oh my god, this is such a good ending. Ah. Okay. I'm going to start again with writing decisions for this because there are so many good and bad writing decisions in this chapter. And don't worry, guys, I'm going to talk about them both in lots of detail because you love it when I do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> what was that laugh, Fran? So we are going to start, of course, with Aryan boy Luke. Honestly, Luke's portrayal in this book as a whole was just so incredibly well done. There are moments where like you're questioning his actions as to whether or not he could possibly be on the bad side, so to speak. But for the more the Marara, for the majority, you don't suspect much of him and you don't really suspect him. But 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 Percy walking on him destroying the sword dummies his creepy new sword that has both celestial bronze and steel to kill monsters and mortals. Yeah, we can die now. Thanks, Luke. His, it is everything about him. Everything about that was leading up to that betrayal and it was just phenomenal. Also, in terms of a villain, out of most other stories that I've read, and some TV shows as well. I truly feel that his justification for turning against the gods makes so much sense. It doesn't justify murder, but it makes sense. Because <laughs> like it, it's true what he says, the gods, in a way, recycle. Everything continues. They plod along and nothing changes. Everything just does a 360 it just all comes back around it's just a continuous cycle like what luke said that the quest that he was sent on was the exact same quest that hercules did they can't think of anything new they consider themselves to be like invincible and the children that they sire will basically fix any problem that occurs which is 100% what they've been doing their children are sent to kill monsters and die very young like it said that most demigods don't live beyond the age of like 25 or something if they're of a slightly more powerful god or something i can't remember exactly what year it was uh what year what age it was but they, they they've basically all grown lazy and big-headed in his way neglecting their children for too long and for luke that is going to change they will no longer neglect their children they will no longer be of significance and yeah, his thing about Western civilization, as a whole, civilization is broken. Even like technically in our world, which I think is why it resonates so much with us, the audience. We can see where he's coming from. Corruption is ripe and it is never ending. The world is broken. And it just makes sense that eventually someone would turn against the gods because they don't think anything is wrong they think everything is fine because they are living in their own little bubble um like okay there is a sense that luke has been manipulated and abused into submission like the fact that he was given nightmares for failing in his mission for example but you can tell that he joined chronos and is doing all of this of his own volition 
with his resentment and anger running so deep because of all of these things that I think he already believed in even before Kronos came into play. With or without Kronos, he would have rebelled entirely on the gods eventually. Kronos, in my opinion, was just the final push. I think Luke would have... I think this is the one thing that I kind of respect the film about is that Luke did this completely of his own volition and it wasn't a Cronus influence he then just joined Cronus in the abomination of the second film which I think makes sense it does seem logical that Luke would try to do this like even maybe speaking to Cronus himself going to Cronus and convincing him to like help or something like that I don't know but I do like this idea that Luke is the one who started it all for good reason i don't know i just think he's such an interesting villain he's a bit of uh, in, in this book at least there's a few cases in a few later books where i think uh luke why but in this book he's just he's so menacing and the description that we get when we see him like after he throws trash into the water which is like a big no-no the description that Percy gives of the fact that in the moonlight, people talk about how handsome Luke is, but in the moonlight, his hair is greying, his scar looks terrifying, and he looks scary. And I just, I really like that. You wouldn't, like, his whole thing is that you wouldn't think that because he looks handsome, but he has this ugly side to himself. Not just appearance-wise, but inside, he he has, like, an ugly soul, I guess you could say. I just... Oh, the description work in this is just phenomenal um yeah i just i think luke may be one of my favorite villains villains other than probably kuvira from legend of korra and azula from avatar the last airbender <laughs> um and i was about to give another avatar example but i'll stop now <laughs> um to go on to a negative that i have about this chapter though as it, it's it's a big one, but it's small because I don't want to go into too much <laughs> depth and frustration about it all. Um, now, this is about Annabeth. And you guys all know that I have such a soft spot for Annabeth because I feel she is such an interesting character because of all these things that she has gone through. Basically, emotionally abandoned by her family. Ran away at seven years old. Felt unloved from probably four or five six years old all these horrible things she went back at one point as well but problems were caused so she left again and all these sort of things and this last chapter she decides to try again with her family and is going to live with them for this coming year the and emily i wasn't happy with that in general because they don't deserve a second chance because the fact that she's the idea that she's got to give her family a second chance or that they've got to give her a second chance is ridiculous they're terrible people they 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 treated this baby terribly but the thing that got me so angry is that firstly she deserves better and you want to know why she deserves better because she apologized to her family they were the reason she ran away two separate times why the hades is she apologizing honestly 
Okay, look, I'm working on an entire video about this appalling nature of this family situation. From everything that comes up with the family in future, I am to this day peeved as anything that Annabeth, basically a victim of family neglect and emotional abuse, is put in the wrong when these grown-ass adults <laughs> abandoned her emotionally. I don't know if it is just me. It probably is just me because I'm angry a lot of the time <laughs> and I love Annabeth and she deserves so, so much better in so many different ways. If anyone else does agree that Annabeth, the treatment that Annabeth gets from her family and the fact that she, in a sense, is made to look like the bad one in this situation, it is ridiculous, isn't it? please someone else tell me that they agree that it is ridiculous that a 12 year old girl is made to be like she is in the wrong she ran away at seven because of this family she returned maybe i think maybe at 10 or 11 or something maybe 10 and left again because she felt unwanted how are these cases put on her i just i don't understand it i don't understand how this can be justified and this is just the one okay there are a few things that i just like about rich writing but i do that with most writers i don't like my own writing but um that's because i don't have any self-esteem <laughs> but i don't know it's just something that's always got me and just to make a note because i always shout out my youtube channel i am actually doing a video to do with the double standards against female characters in this series um because i do feel like that is something to be noted here that Annabeth is a victim and yet she's the one who's had to apologize. I just I don't I don't understand it. If someone else can understand it, please explain it to me, but I just I can't get on board with it whatsoever. But okay. That went on a lot longer than I meant it to, but rant over now. Rant gone. But do email me if you agree or if you've got any insights that you think would be interesting and I'll bring them up in future for sure. Now to get on to the conclusion side of things. Honestly, this was a really satisfying ending for me. Other than obviously, of course, the few issues that I do have with it, but those are just minor in comparison to everything else. Because not only does literally everything from this book is tied up in this chapter, in both these chapters really. We learn who the real thief is, we get the conclusion to the prophecy, we remove the abusive Gabe. The question on whether Percy stays or goes home is answered. Even the fact that something more will be coming because of Kronos, Luke and this prophecy for Percy. It just, it feels like a really great story. A self-contained one, which I think is something that is always important for series and even standalone books is that it feels self-contained. Like we get this idea that it will continue at the end of the story but even if this was the only book I would be incredibly satisfied with everything that happened. I'd be, obviously have questions but I'd be happy if that was the end because everything is answered, we get this idea of what could happen but it's, la it's I don't know, I don't know how to describe it but I think it's something that's just really interesting but the whole self-contained thing is why I enjoy these books because the character arcs and growth, like, 
they they have them within these books but they're also overarching ones so each book has its own character story and growth and arcs but then you have the growth in arcs across the whole series as well so you've got them self-contained in a story but they also carry on at the same time which is firstly is a fantastic technique that not many can actually pull off but i feel rick does it really well and again like what i said like near every question is answered everyone is in a different position from where they started um tying that also into the whole growth thing um you're both overwhelmed by what has happened uh, you relish in that knowledge of knowing what's going on and you wonder like what on earth could it be coming next and i just think it's fascinating like percy went from a child who didn't know anything who felt like a loser to being a literal hero and having a closer connection with his mum and being able to get rid of this abusive person in their life Annabeth went from someone who was not able to experience the world to be able to experience so much and now have close and amazing friends. Grover went from an anxious, nervous satyr to someone with a searcher's license who has two amazing friends and is being able to go on the thing that he's waited his whole life to be able to do. Everything comes full circle and I can't wait to see what comes next. And in our case... To find out what does come next, that'll be in the form of Percy Jackson and the Sea of Monsters. And that, oh my god, that is the end of Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. And that is just wild. I, ca- I can't believe that I've gotten to the end of one of these books. I've got so many more to go, of course, but that's just m- mad to me that I've I only I started this journey back in what like February I think and I'm already at this point I've got bonus episodes I've got fantastic things coming up and and other elements of stuff for this podcast I'll be moving on to see if monsters soon and going through all these things ah I don't even know what to say I'm just I'm so excited and I hope you guys have enjoyed the lightning thief story with myself and that you are looking forward to the sea of monsters Now for, of course, all the little segments that I do for this series, I have two things for this one, which is going to be something that I'll be bringing in across. So of course we have the Song of the Story, which is for these two chapters in particular. So for these two chapters, the Song of the Story is Let Me Down Slowly by Alec Benjamin. Fantastic song, absolutely adore it, and I feel it really does suit the premise of the whole the Poseidon and Percy relationship, the Luke and Percy relationship, the Annabeth situation with her parents and her and Percy's relation, all these sort of things. That song I feel works really well. Also, I have a song for the entire book, and I think people will laugh and enjoy it at the same time, and that is the song. I Don't Wanna Die by Will J. And yep, that's basically the entire book in a nutshell, really, isn't it? They don't want to die. So uh, please don't. (laughs) Um, Both of those songs will be linked um, in the episode notes, but they are both available on YouTube, Spotify, all that sort of stuff. So go search those and it will all be fine. But to get to the main part of these episodes that you guys have all been waiting for and that is the question of the episode but to go to last week's question which was 
which demigod do you think could take on which god? Now, to know, I didn't take all the answers for this week's question because lots of them were related to uh, Heroes of Olympus. So I've only taken the answers that were for the Percy Jackson series. Um, and most of them are predominantly focused on Percy and Annabeth. Very much surprised. Not surprised, I meant to say. <laughs> uh, so from Talia Grace, they say, Percy could take anyone. Fair. <laughs> from Deej the DJ, Annabeth could probably take Athena in a friendly architecture challenge. Kind of like the Arachne weaving contest. Let's hope it doesn't end the same way as Arachne. Um, also, Argus would destroy anyone in Where's Wally, god or not. For anyone who doesn't know, I don't think I've mentioned Argus before. Argus is the thousand pawn eyes uh, sort of bodyguard and chauffeur for Camp Half-Blood. Uh, nice guy, looks a bit like a surfer. Uh, from Demigod Quest, Annabeth could take on Hera, I'd bet. And from Doubted Coin, I want to see Annabeth and Percy beat Hera. I kind of want to see that too. Um, and from Megan Newark, uh, only reading out the second part, um, Grover taking on Dionysus. And you know what? I am 100% here for that. <laughs> And those are the end of the Percy Jackson ones for this last week's question of the episode. If you do want to see the Heroes of Olympus, obviously that will be on our Instagram post from uh, last week's episode, so go check that out for all the other answers. But for this week's question of the episode, who did you think was the thief when you first read The Lightning Thief? Now for me, I had multiple people that I did think were the thief. Initially, I thought Annabeth for like a long period of time. Um, for a moment, I did think Chiron when he mentioned that Cronus was his dad, um, but it was mainly Annabeth up until I think the moment that she supported Percy with like Ares and in the underworld and stuff. Just because it it kind of made sense with everything that was pointing out, with especially to do with the whole. Poseidon and Athena rivalry that was kind of the thing that came into my head that it would make a lot of sense um but yeah who did you guys think was the thief let me know either on the Instagram post that I will post or email me your in-depth thoughts because I love getting emails <laughs> now as always thank you all for joining me for the last chapters of the lightning thief join me next Wednesday for a special bonus episode where me and a special guest go where no mortal should go alone now to plug where you can find our podcast we are available on spotify where you should give us a follow apple podcast where you should leave a rating and a review audio boom stitcher and deezer in the meantime between episodes you can find the best damn camp on various social media at best damn camp pod on instagram and twitter and on tumblr at the best if you want to email me with your own thoughts you can email the best damn camp at hotmail.com and i will read it out at the end of the show if you want to support me making this content check me out on patreon at a healthy dose of fran and also be sure to check me out on my youtube channel a healthy dose of fran for more percy jackson content and drop me a follow on my personal instagram and twitter 
at a healthy dose of Fran on Instagram and at a dose of Fran on Twitter. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in and for the finale part of The Lightning Thief. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I will see slash speak to you guys next time. So long. <laughs>